check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Throwdown. I'm your host, Zach, joined by Alex and Connor, as usual. Say hi, guys. What up, what up? All right, we got another great episode, and it's episode 32. We hit a pretty good milestone episode, episode 30. You know, like, we started off the season, you know, just our first season doing it, but now we hit 30, so, you know, pretty cool stuff going on there. Before we get into today's show, got to remind you, social media... Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but also make sure you're checking out the mini episodes as well. We cover a lot more of the stats and the storylines a bit, and those for each of the series, and those have been really fun to do. So that's all I got for plugs and stuff. Overview of the show, got a round one recap. We got the start of the What Went Wrong series, which is for teams that had high expectations and fell mostly, mostly fell flat on all those. And then finally, we got a round two outlook for y'all as well, but Let's start with the big basketball news of today. First off, Joel Embiid is going to miss game one and two of the 76ers series against the Heat. Embiid has to go under league concussion protocols and see a doctor for his orbital orbital fracture. He could return for games three and four at the earliest. It's not sure right now, but guys, um, really quick, just thoughts and reactions towards this because, you know, this this is huge for the 76ers. Oh, it's... It's absolutely huge. You know, you're talking about an MVP front runner, probably the second favorite to win MVP this year, and he's going to be out for games one and two, especially considering these games are in Miami. You know, you want to steal at least one of these games, and it's going to be a tough time. But the crazier part is, you know, not to just to just take away from MB for a second, is that a lot of pressure now is going to be on James Harden. And, you know, for these this past year, he's kind of been like a second guy now. He's getting back to being a main guy, and the my biggest concern is, is he able to at least steal one of these games? That That's my biggest concern, is that will he be able to lead this team to steal one of these two games? But I love this in the sense that since Embiid is out, there's a strong chance that uh, the when you look at the depth of the 76ers, their bench, and the rest of the starters, that they can prove their worth in this these first two games and show that they're a force to be reckoned with without Embiid on the court and to show that a team like the Miami Heat they can handle as well as any team that they face next, whether it's the Bucks or the Nets, uh, Bucks or Celtics. So Oops. I think this is a very, very big test for them. I, I hope Embiid comes back soon because I would love to see this series go to six or seven because I think it's going to regardless. But this is a huge test for the Sixers, and I'm very curious to see what Harden can do now that he gets to has to now that he's forced into the limelight to step up as the leader of the team now. Yeah, I totally agree with Alex here. It, it's really going to show, you know, everybody's been giving Harden a tough time for years and years, saying like he can't lead a team on his own, uh, and now that it beats Ben Hurt for the first time, uh, I believe the first time this season, right? Um, and that's something that he's really struggled with is staying healthy. Uh, so hopefully he can come back, but if the, Heat can pick up these two games that gives them so much momentum to, you know, get that third game before, you know, the 76ers are able to really get back into the mix. Uh, this will also really show as a team how they can do without their star player. 
Uh, are they just a bunch of guys that are role players, or can they actually be stars to step up during the big moments? I mean, this is the second round. Uh, next round, you're if you win this round, you play either uh, the Celtics or the uh, the Bucks. Uh, both teams with a lot of experience, uh, maybe even more experience than a uh-huh. decent amount of the 76ers team. Uh, so they'll, you know, they'll show up in the big moments, but we have to see, will the 76ers show up in the big moment? And we've seen guys on this team step up this season. Like Tyrese Maxey really stepped it up as a sophomore player in the league and nobody really expected him to. So I think this is a good, like you guys said, it's a good opportunity for the team, for the bench to be tested for Philly and see, you know, what guys are going to rise up and what guys are going to kind of, uh, fall off if you will but this there's a lot of pressure on james harden now uh but you know if they can split the series one one i think the 76ers will have a good chance of beating miami in this but we're gonna have to wait and see on what happens with Embiid and his injury now to a not injury related news story uh zion williamson discussed re-signing with the new orleans pelicans so this happened after the loss to the suns at when they came back to do their uh closing statements to the media when a reporter asked if he would stay in New Orleans, Zion said, "Of course, I couldn't sign it. Couldn't sign it fast enough. Williamson could get a five-year, one hundred and eighty-one million-dollar rookie extension this summer, but he's only played eighty-five games through three years in his career. So, guys, um, was this statement a surprise, like a pleasant surprise, or was this fully expected from Zion? I mean, I don't know. No, you can I, go, Connor." Thanks. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise at all. I mean, the guy hasn't stayed healthy, hasn't played all year. So, of course, he wants that max deal. He knows that this is one of the only teams that is probably going to be desperate enough to make that max deal offer for him. Uh, you know, he's such a superstar, but, you know, he can't stay healthy. So, I I think it's not that big of a surprise. I mean, they have built the team around him. I think the bigger surprise is hearing C.J. McCollum this week say that he wants to retire as a Pelican. Uh, I think that really shows where his heart is and how he really wants this team to improve. I really just think that Zion Williamson is just saying this because he wants that money and he knows that uh, the Pelicans are going to be the team desperate enough to do it. Also, two of the seasons that he played is you know, first two seasons, they were shortened because of COVID. Um, so, you know, the numbers are kind of, you know, a little bit shifted that way as well. But yeah, for the most part, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Alex, your thoughts? I mean, I'm not surprised in the sense that, you know, he kind of also has, I, I'm sure when you're Zion, you're looking at this as, you know, what team is going to actually, like Connor said, what team is actually going to look at wanting to give me a big deal considering I have all these health problems, whereas the Pelicans are a team that not only could afford it, but they are desperate enough to want to keep this team together, especially considering not only did they make the playoffs, but they went six games without Zion against the one-seeded Suns. So when you look at it that way, they're going to be desperate because they're going to be like, oh, wow, if Zion was actually out there, we probably have a better chance. You can see that easily, but... One thing I do have a problem with is the idea that Zion perhaps deserves a max. I don't think he deserves a max contract. He hasn't really proven to me 
that sure he's played 85 games and granted the covid covid year he 2019 2020 you know he did miss a few games but he was still only played 24 games that year there was only what like 10 games left in the season there wasn't really much mm-hmm. left so i don't use mm-hmm. that as like a good reason um but the second season he did play 64 games but then this year you know this is a tough year cuz he didn't play and the one thing is he did say, I don't know if you guys saw this week, he did say if they won game six, he was going to surprise everyone and be back for game seven. And he was yep. very serious about it. But then I'm also like, you know, maybe you should surprise and showed up game six because considering how close of a game that was, maybe you would have made the difference there. Mm-hmm. And of course, the game maybe. seven, that, w- that would have been huge. But I don't know if he deserves a max because here's the thing. Ja is a player, you know, talking about that draft. He has proved his worth. He deserves a max for his side with the Grizzlies, but Zion hasn't done enough to prove that he deserves the max because he actually has to play. And right now, granted, will he get a max? Probably because it is the Pelicans. They're going to be desperate enough. But does he deserve it? No, not yet. Also, Pelicans aren't a like sexy market. Uh, that, that's just kind of an important thing to think about, too. You know, they... They kind of have to rely on drafting and training for talent rather than, you know, being able to sign lucrative free agents. The thing with New Orleans is like they're in a good spot They're It feels like they're on an upswing now, especially after this, because before, like Connor said, it's not the sexiest market in the NBA. However, it is a very loyal market. And I think he will get a deal with New Orleans. I'm not, I don't think he deserves a max deal. I think it'd almost be better if he played on like a one year extension, Mm -hmm. almost kind of a prove it deal. Like, you know, if you play like the majority of the games of this season, we will give you like a max contract. That's not a rookie max contract. That's like, you know, like an actual max contract. But I broke down the numbers. So each year out of this five year deal, it would be thirty six point two million dollars each season because I'm bad at math and I just needed to look up that math. But like, is I am worth that thirty six point two million a year? Probably not. Definitely not. Because like I don't have a good sample size out of him. Eighty five games. Sure. Like last year, you know, he played those sixty four. Sure. He did great. But like this year, you know, it's just. You, you can't have these issues going forward and then be like, oh, I should get the max because the job Morant deserves a max. Zion does not. So who knew we'd be here like years later saying that Zion doesn't get the max, but job does like <laughs> funny how time changes like that. But um, let's before we ha- go to our break, we got to go go over our round one recap. Now, we've been doing the mini episodes that mostly just cover the stats. It covers the stats and it covers uh, some of the storylines in there, but this is just a general recap. We're going to talk about a couple of these series. Um, First of all, Heat beat the Hawks 4-1. The Suns beat the Pelicans 4-2. We just mentioned that. The Celtics get the only sweep against the Nets. They went 4-0 against Brooklyn. The Grizzlies beat the Timberwolves 4-2, so we'll come back to them really quick. The Bucks beat the Bulls 4-1. They didn't get the sweep like we thought they would. The Warriors beat the Nuggets 4-1 because Steph Curry came back from injury. The 76ers beat the Raptors 4-2. It looked like Doc Rivers was going to blow another 3-1 lead, but you know what? He didn't, so good for him, good for them. And the Mavericks beat the Jazz 4-2. Luka Doncic came back, and he just proved out why he was the top guy in the team. Now, let's talk about... The Grizzlies and the Timberwolves series. First of all, it was a fantastic series to watch, uh, no matter what game you tuned into. 
But the thing I want to, you know, we mentioned this before we started recording. The Timberwolves blew four games where they had a double-digit lead. Like, guys, help me out here. What what word, what words are we looking for to describe the Timberwolves? Choke artist. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's the Timberwolves is just they they let the series slip away that was it they just let the series slip away when you when i think of like how you would describe what happened in the series that that's exactly what happened timberwolves had this series they had th- at least 3 of those games in the fourth that was that, that at least 3 of those games in the fourth quarter they had a substantial lead they had they were leading by double dish and then they blew the games within the final 6 minutes you know that it was just when I, especially that one, I think one game that really was, what was it? It was a 35 to 10, 10, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was the thing. I think it was fourth quarter, uh, Gri- uh, Grizzlies outscored them 35, 10 in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, Timberwolves had, I think like a 17 point lead. So mm-hmm. that to me was just, that's really what kind of sums up this series to me is like what happened and what we saw after the next few games. But, you know, it was experience problems too, but. I got to give Grizzlies a lot of credit. They fought back each game, and they the game's not over. They show this is a game of run. Any team that goes on a big run, doesn't matter. They can overcome it. I will say, you know, for the Timberwolves, I did like what I saw from them in this series, and this was probably the most exciting series out of every game, out of every one of them in the first round. I, I feel like a lot of the inexperience came in. I mean, the Grizzlies are still a young team, but they got that a little... Uh, experience last year so mm-hmm. this year you know the young bucks of minnesota kind of didn't you know exactly have that experience and i feel like uh they realized hey we can't get all cocky and i feel like seeing these pictures on social media of, uh cat you know putting the shush face on there and then him getting clowned <laughs> afterwards I think they'll use that as motivation and be like, you know what? We got to finish it to the end. We can't just give up, you know, we'll not give up, but we can't you just can't... like, hey, we can't be like three uh, periods in or three quarters in and then be like, okay, we won the game. We're up by 20. No, you got to finish out the games. Yeah. You know, I... talented teams and, you know, maybe in the regular season with a team that, you know, isn't that good. Uh, they won't make that comeback, but teams are even going to become more confident and want to, you know, win, they want to win that playoff game. So they're going to make that comeback. So, yeah, especially I, considering last year, you know, that was the first time they made the playoffs in quite a few years and they got embarrassed in the first round by the Jazz. You know, they came back with a vengeance this year. They didn't want to lose in the first round. It looked like a joke. I bet every member of the Memphis Grizzlies feels like a dangerous player on the court right now because, like, last year, you know, they got kicked out of the playoffs by the Jazz. You know, they only won one game. And but I feel like I feel like for the Grizzlies, like they feel like the most dangerous team because they came back from four games down by double digits. Like if any team does that, they must they they are the hottest team in the NBA right now. It doesn't matter you know, who, you know, who else is out there because that's the mentality going into the second round and they're going against the Golden State Warriors who are like, oh, we're back. But the Grizzlies are like, well, we're here, too. So it's 
that's going to be interesting to see because you got like the old dynasty coming up against a possible new dynasty in Memphis. So that's definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, the other series I wanted to talk about uh, with you guys, 76ers versus Raptors. This one was fun to watch, too. Now, granted, there was other fun ones in the East, but this one, I think, was like the most fun out of the Eastern Conference because Joel Embiid pretty much like was the guy for this series. But also Tyrese Maxey stepped it up. James Harden stepped it up. But the Raptors look like them from that run in 2019 where they had Kawhi Leonard. They looked a little like their old selves, especially like Pascal Siakam looked really good out there. But the rookies, you know, Scotty Barnes and Achua looked good out there, too. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a really good series. Um, you know, I I really think that it came down to just the star power in the end. I mean, 76ers have the star power, and they're able to rely on Harden and rely on Embiid. And I think, like we mentioned it, it might have been last week or maybe a, a private conversation, but Embiid is just motivated to prove you know, mm-hmm. you know, himself as well as, you know, this is the year that the process is supposed to be completed. Uh, the year that we thought that we're going to win uh, as well, or at least compete, you know, they lost to the Raptors in that final buzzer beater shot and the Raptors ended up winning the championship that year. So mm-hmm. this is like a redemption tour for him. And I, I honestly I think after the two games that he's out, hopefully it's only two games, uh, he comes back, and I think he's going to be on a tear again. Uh, I I think this is the redemption tour for Embiid. And this series as a whole was a really good series. Uh, The Raptors are in a really good spot. For them to even compete with uh, the 76ers, who a lot of people see as the Eastern Conference favorite, I, I think this is a big step in the right direction for a team that a lot of people uh, didn't really think were going to go anywhere and thought they were too young and experienced. Yeah, I mean, you know, this series, I was surprised after, you know, you go up 3 0, you blow two games like that. Granted, I think that also shows a bad sign for this next round, too, in case they are in these situations. I could easily see Doc blowing the series, blowing the game, um, poorly mismanaging his players and easily mismanaging timeout calls. But, you know, this was this was a prove-it. You know, this is a prove-it playoffs for Embiid. He is a different Embiid than we've seen these last couple of years. He really is. He has stepped up. This year especially, he stepped up as a team leader. You know, he wasn't selfish this year. He actually showed that he is a selfless he let, he's a selfless player. He likes to play team ball. He knows how to be a true leader. Now, it's, of course, we're in this tough situation. Obviously, when we're going into this next round with him missing the first two games. But this round especially, the team just needed to gel. Of course, they're going to bat. They battled some problems because I liked what I saw from Raptors. They really, no matter what we're showing, they're going to fight back regardless. They're actually going to make this a series. And I was honestly surprised with the way game five, uh, game, uh, game six ended. I really thought we were about to get a game seven, but heading into that game. But, you know, Sixers got the job done in that one. The guys, guys like Maxi stepped up. You know, Harden, though, I need to see a little bit more from him this next round. That's my biggest concern is I didn't see as much as I wanted to from him. I didn't think he stepped up as big enough 
until later on, but he needs to hit the ground running to start this next series, and he really, really needs to shine and pull through for them. That's my only concern for what we're going to see this next series. But if he's able to at least steal one of those games, then the moment Embiid comes back, there's not a doubt in my mind. After what we saw from Embiid in this first round, he is going to light it up second round. And I said weeks ago when we were picking series to look out for, I'm like, like Embiid and the 76ers had to vanquish the demons and, you know, their demons, which happened to be the Toronto Raptors. It's been the thorn in their side for years now, especially that final moment with Kawhi Leonard. And then you see in game three, Embiid hits a, you know, hits that three point shot and gets his own dagger back at the Raptors. And I think for for Embiid, especially like. You know, he he was like beaming after they beat the Raptors in game six. Like he was so pumped and excited. And I feel bad because, you know, that injury, the concussion protocol, and then, you know, with the injury too, you know, I hope it doesn't kill any of the, that momentum when he does come back. But, you know, this was a really good hard fought series for the 76ers. The Raptors, you know, guys stepped up in, on the Raptors and that's what made this series really exciting. But we're going to have to wait and see how round two plays out because who knows, maybe Miami might underestimate the 76ers, and then all of a sudden, you know, the 76ers might get two in Miami because they've been underestimated or go split the series 1-1. But uh, that's all the time we got for this segment. But when we come back, we're going to talk, we're going to go highlight a couple of teams in our What Went Wrong series. So don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss this. Hey everyone, Zach here. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you like the show, be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We share breaking news and updates that are going around the league, as well as show updates. You can find the link to our accounts in the description down below, or search Sins the Throwdown. Thanks so much for listening. Now here's the rest of the episode. And welcome back. All right, so we're doing kind of a new series, a new segment for the rest of the playoffs, if you will. It's called our What Went Wrong series, where we talk about a team from the East and the West and just simply ask what went wrong this season. So the criteria is that the team was expected to perform at a high level or meet a certain benchmark, but ultimately they just fell short. So for our first segment, we're going to take two teams that like we were really high on, uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the Denver Nuggets. I mean... Guys, let's just start with the Nets because that's the obvious. That's the bigger one of the two. What I'll start with you, Alex. What just went wrong with the Nets this season? <laughs> uh, it's a you know that's how I'm going to start it off. I just laughing. There's so much <laughs> that went wrong with them. You know they they honestly are one of the biggest, biggest, biggest embarrassments in recent memories. They really are. This honestly, this, especially this playoffs was just pathetic. But. This season, especially when we want to look at what went wrong the whole entire regular season, at least, I honestly think, you know, this was first half of the year, there was a lot of problems, especially with James Harden being in there. We all saw that. And, you know, before that trade was made, there was a lot of issues with him on the court with players. There was issues. There was also rumors about him and Kyrie um, not getting along, but those were just rumors, too, I think. But, you know, you never know what to believe. But. They just had a lot of issues out there. They didn't have the right team out there. And the biggest problem was Kyrie was only the whole season only played, what, 29 games? I mean, you know, that's that's where the biggest problem easily is coming in is that Kyrie and KD 
only played. And I'm not sure how many of those games. Uh, I've, I'm not sure how many of those games KD actually played with Kyrie because I'm sure there's quite a few that he missed too. But you're talking about at least like 20 something games that your two superstar, all NBA caliber players played in together, and you thought you were going to go into the playoffs and maybe. You know, you thought that was just going to be enough. And Steve Nash acted like that was going to be enough. He had those two out there for 40 plus minutes each game, literally 43, 45 minutes. And first off, in the playoffs, what really went wrong is Steve Nash does not know how to actually coach. I think it kind of showed this year. He can't be a coach for this team. I really don't think so. And, you know, the other biggest problem was Ben Simmons was a coward. He, you know, when that when this team lost game three, he refused to go into game four. He he cited, oh, I'm my my back sore. Like, give me a break, you know? If they won game three, he would have been there in game four. He just not did not want to come back when they were down 3-0 and the series was already over in his mind. And I think that was also what really went wrong too on top of the uh, Kyrie problems is that Ben Simmons was selfish and he didn't want to take part in playing with the Nets this year at all. And I really think that if you had this team, if Kyrie was out there for at least 50 games this year, then you'd have a better chance. And if Ben Simmons was out there, you're going to easily have a better defensive chance too and stop in the Celtics. But that's really where the problem was, was those two. Connor, your thoughts on the Nets this season? Yeah. Alex did bring a laundry list of issues. I mean, all of them are correct. I mean, this was the first team ever to be championship favorites going into the preseason and not win a single game in the playoffs. Uh, and that just shows you how big of a failure the season was for the team. Uh, I think a huge thing, too, is this just proves that even more so the 76ers won that trade so far uh, just because they're, they're still in the playoffs. They're still cooking while the Nets are at home eating some uh, chicken wings and enjoying some popcorn, uh, you know, on the couch. And I, I just think that as a whole, maybe this also comes down to the leadership of KD. Uh, he's kind of more of a silent guy. He doesn't really speak up a lot. And it makes me think that maybe he's not that good of a leader, uh, especially in the locker room sense. Well, he speaks up when uh, Rihanna talks crap to him on the sidelines. I know that, that for a fact. Cool. That is true. <laughs> Nobody messes with Riri. <laughs> but, yeah, I just think that a lot of it comes down to leadership. There's no true leader there. And even though a lot of people clown on James Harden sometimes for, like, going to the strip clubs and doing his own thing, maybe he was the leader of that team. Uh, and now that he's gone, uh, that team really became – like everybody saw them as, you know, a really solid team and could compete, uh, even though they weren't really in position. Uh, but once they lost James Harden, it was just the Katie and Kyrie show. There was no other players that could be consistent. And that was the thing. None of them neither one of them could play together until like the end of the season. So I, I think really this team is just in a really bad spot. And this is probably the worst spot they've been in since, uh, you know, they did that horrible trade for Paul Pierce, KG, and all that. Uh, this team has no morale. Uh, so we'll go on to our next topic. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Nets are in a really bad spot. 
Connor's just he's saying Zach doesn't have an opinion on this. It's cool, but no, no. I mean, I I just don't. There's so much about this team, and I think we listed basically everything. But yeah, I, Zach. I I, I think I want to like point out that after the James Harden Ben Simmons trade, like they slid hard, and you know yeah. there's no Katie and Kyrie for a band. Then Katie came back, and then Kyrie came back, and then the mandates and the vaccines and all that stuff. And we, I think once uh, they they announced that Kyrie wasn't going to play unless he got vaccinated or the mandates got lifted, I think that should have been the the foreshadowing that we all needed, that this team was not going to go as far as they could. And it's just, we, you just see James Harden on the 76ers now. He's playing more like his old self, like he did on the Rockets than he did with the Nets. And I think that helps that, like, James Harden, like, He's on a team where it's like he doesn't feel like he has to step up, but he steps up anyways. And I think that's when he plays better. So definitely the 76ers are walking away from that trade, like winning in the short term and, you know, definitely for the long term by the looks of it right now. I think with the Nets, though, it came down to like like you guys mentioned, there's no leadership on the team. It's not KD. It's not Kyrie. It's not even Steve Nash or, you know. Uh, higher management or anything. There's just no leader on the team, and everyone's just kind of like throwing their hands up. And it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like, nobody's there to lead us. And maybe James Harden was the leader of the locker room because, like, everybody craps on James Harden, you know, because because of how he plays and stuff. But at least he could rally the troops and get it done. And that that's kind of the key difference here is that the Nets looked like a completely different team in post post the trade deadline then you know before the trade deadline but i i really can't talk about the nets anymore so we got to talk about the other team the denver nuggets um it was hard to get a scope on them at first because jamal murray was out but you know like Jokic just won mvp porter looked promising but he was her and then it was just the team just kind of they were they're they should be better than what they did but you know circumstances and everything just kind of prevented them from doing that uh, Connor, I'll let you have this one first. Yeah, I, I do like this Nuggets team. It really sucks. But the thing is, we got to be a little bit realistic here. This team's consistently been a underperformer. Uh, they have one of the greatest players uh, in the league today, in the world today, with Jokic, who potentially could be winning a second MVP this year. I, I, I just feel like you got to build more around him. And you got these two guys, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., phenomenal players when they're on the court. But when's the last time we've seen them on the court? You know, one of them we didn't even see this season. And the other one uh, got injured after, like, only a couple games. And Michael Porter Jr., uh, I've been following him since he was in high school. One of the great, like one of the greatest high school players we've seen in the last like twenty years or so. But the thing is, if he can't stay healthy, you already gave him that max deal. You gotta, I, I personally, and I'll go more into this when we kind of break it down more. I, I, you gotta move one of these max players and try to get a guy who can stay healthy, or you get picks from them and draft guys that can stay healthy and be a, you know, three guys. Let's say you get three first-round picks or whatever, or like two first-round picks and like a really solid player. At least those guys could potentially get to that level. But you're telling me that value isn't better than you know like an, uh, Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray. The longer the longer you keep these injured players on your roster, 
at max deals, the less value you're going to get out of him. For example, John Wall, one of the worst contracts in the league. He's he's barely even played on that contract. But the problem is, like, you know, nobody wants that deal because, you know, his value is like nothing now. And uh, that's why you got to move on from these guys when they're not staying healthy and not staying consistent. I think I think they got to take their L uh, and try because the sixth seed can only get you so far. And we've seen that for a couple of years now with the Nuggets. This team should be competing for championships with one of the best players in the league, Jokic. Uh, mm-hmm. But they can't even get out of the first round. So. Yeah, I, you know, before talking about this, what we just saw in the playoffs from in the first round, uh, regular season wise, I will give Jokic a lot of credit. I was impressed with the way he was able to bring this team to at least the sixth seed. Because, you know, when you think about Jamal Murray going out, uh, being out the whole year, then you see Michael Porter Jr. get hurt early on and he misses base almost the entire season. You know, this was a team that dealt with a lot of injury problems. And the fact that Jokic had, probably was going to be his second MVP in a row. The fact that he pro- that he had this MVP caliber of a season and helped lead this team at least to 48 wins, I thought was impressive. But like Connor said, you know, you're underperforming every year once it really matters, once you get into the playoffs, when you really see it. Jokic, Jokic did all he could. I cannot blame him at all. In the in these playoffs, his stats like he was so efficient. He was efficient out there every single game. His stats were dominant. I can't blame him at all. But this team has no depth, especially you know Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. being out. You know you think at some point during the season before the trade deadline you want to bring in more depth, especially with injury suffering from injury bugs and and. This team did not do that at all, and that's where it counts towards playoff times is you need to have the depth to compete with a team like the Warriors. Now, looking at the Warriors, they obviously were a much, much better team, but even without Steph, they were able to win game one, and it showed you they had solid depth. The Nuggets could not handle them in game one because the Nuggets did not have the pieces to compete with a team like that, regardless of Steph being there or not. And I think that's where the problem really lies for the Nuggets this year is that they have a lot of issues when it comes to depth and a bench. And they really need to either build it for next year with guys they have, especially keep maybe injury-prone guys, or just keep Jokic and go through a whole rebuild around him and bring in you know, maybe even more veterans. I don't know. But at least you know, you need to start actually realizing that, hey, like Connor said, we can only always be like the sixth seed, fifth seed, oh, no matter what, for so long. We actually have a guy who's won two MVPs in a row, and he's under, and the team has underperformed these past two years for him. Yeah, and I think the Nuggets, like this, this is a reoccurring issue for them. Is like, is that they're always around the sixth seed, and it feels like no matter how hard they try, it just doesn't get any better. But you can't have two guys on max contracts who aren't playing that's just not beneficial to the team and the common thing about all the teams that made it to the the conference semifinals right now is that they all have depth on their bench like they have terrific benches i feel like the nuggets are still stuck in the big three era where it's like oh we got Jokic, murray and porter and like porter michael porter jr and it's like yeah but if two of those guys aren't playing you're not going to get very far so 
I think the Nuggets really need to change up the strategy because, like, you know, as a coach, I can't blame the coaching on this. It's like, what are you going to do when you don't have the players that you need to win games? Like, Jokic is an MVP. He might be the second MVP. He might get a second MVP in a row here. But it's just like, what are you going to do when, like, you know, your star players are just not available and you don't have the depth to go with it? There's only so much Jokic can do. Uh, Granted, you know, like, he, there's just not a lot of help for Jokic especially like in the forward and the guard position and you know that that's just tough like you you can't keep fighting that fight forever like that's just an issue but um let's get into the next part of this is like what does each team need to do for improvements for next season we'll start we'll go back to the nets um connor i'll let you have this one first again it's like what do the nets need to do to improve for the season just just one thing I, they got to improve Ben Simmons' confidence. His confidence is at an all-time low. You don't need him to have a three-point shot. That's not what I mean by this. Like, you know, that that will never happen. But, you know, you got to at least tell him, hey, man, we we know everything hasn't been perfect for you over the last couple of years, but we want to make this your new home, and we want you to feel comfortable in your own skin. Like, and if that means, like, you know, keeping him at point guard if that's what he feels more comfortable. You know, keep him at point guard if if you want to make the move and put him at power forward. That's also an option too. But like you, you have to try to make it so he can feel comfortable, practice his shots, and be like, "Hey, man, we're not going to ask you to uh, shoot threes. Just play your game." And like, I feel like over the last couple of years, everyone's put pressure on Ben Simmons to develop a jump shot. And be this guy that he isn't. Uh, he's a good facilitator, and he he's a triple double machine when he's at his best. And I feel like that's what the Brooklyn Nets have to do. They have to build the confidence, and that's that's once again where the leadership comes in. If there's a true leader on this team, Ben Simmons should build his confidence up. You know, like Seventy Sixers, that was an issue just because. Embiid had like an issue with Ben Simmons and they just didn't click that that happened but this is a new team for him so whoever the leader is hopefully it's KD because that's what he's supposed to be uh, he's like in his third like you know mid 30s almost now he's got to step up as a leader he's not a young kid anymore step up tell him hey man I got your back let's build your let's build your game up again that's what they got to do to fix uh, their woes, as well as build up depth like any of the teams that get bumped in the first round. I think that's the big decider, mostly in the first round, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what they got to do. Build his confidence up. Alex, same thing. Uh, what's one thing the Nets need to do for next season? Honestly, you know, the big focus really is on Ben Simmons because Kyrie already said that he plans on coming back. So there's really no problem there, but Ben Simmons did not play at all this year, you know, and he, like Connor said, you know, you really need to build his confidence back up. You really need to get him out there. He let what happened in the playoffs last, uh, last time around really affect him this year. He did. And then all of a sudden he started being selfish when it came time for the playoffs. So I really think that, he needs to, he still needs to grow, but they have to focus this offseason on actually not only building his confidence up, like Connor said, but also they need to decide on what they want to do with him in terms of do you want to put him 
you know, at the point and maybe move Kyrie to the two? Do you want to work with them at the one and two? Or do you want to put him at power forward? Because right now, my biggest concern with that team is their depth at the three and four. When you look, you have, let's say Ben Simmons is at the four. That means you have KD and Ben Simmons at the three and four. But then when you look at the rest of the guys they have, Bruce Brown, Kessler Edwards, you know, uh, even uh, Joe Harris, too, and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin, isn't. this isn't the Blake Griffin from five years ago. <laughs> he is not on the same level. And when I really look at the problems they have there at the three and four, you know, when it comes to the bench, they really need to build that back up because they don't have any trustworthy, efficient guys to come off and help, you know, outscore the other bench when it comes time to those close situations in the second and third quarters. But that's the problem. That's the two. To me, those are the two biggest problems that Ben Simmons and his confidence get him back out there, build that rapport with him, KD and Kyrie. But then also you actually have to focus on three and the four in terms of building a bench up, especially considering that, God forbid, you know, with the Nets situation that Ben Simmons pulls this again next year at some point during the season. And then KD, who has had injury problems over the years, gets hurt you are screwed when it comes to the three and four. You have no one that can fill those voids. And that's where the problem might actually occur if they don't fix it now this summer. Yeah, and that, that's a big thing about this upcoming offseason. It's like you got to get Ben Simmons on the court and then you got to build that bench back up because that's literally what I have. You got to resign Kyrie Irving, which he already said he's going to resign, but we've heard that before and then they go somewhere else. But, you know, stranger things have happened. But, you know, resigning Kyrie should be a top priority and building the bench up because I'm going through the roster. You got good guys on the team. You got Bruce Brown. You got Joe Harris. But some of these other guys are older, too. Like, you know, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. Like two guys that just immediately come to mind, and it's like you, you can't have all these older guys. Like Dragage, uh, Dragage is on there too. You need youth on this team, you know. That's mm-hmm. the issue. Like you can't have these old veteran players on the team, especially like Blake Griffin. Like, granted, he was more he did a lot better in the playoff series than people would like to give him credit for, especially since the Nets were just struggling to get anything going, and he was kind of a little bit of a catalyst, but. I think for the Nets, you got to re, not redo the entire bench, but you need to trim the fat and you need to put in new full players. You know, even if you just sign some guys and draft some guys with whatever picks they got left or trade around, see what they can get. Cause like this team should be competing for an NBA championship, but they're not because they have no depth in the bench. And that's how the league is now. It's like, you only need a couple superstars. You got the duo down, but you need the rest of the bench to fall through. So that that's my big thing is building up that bench, it, you know, cause I don't care for Ben Simmons really at this point, like he's going to do whatever he wants and they're going to let him get away with it. But that that's just me. Um, on the flip side of this for the nuggets, I think we're all in agreement on pretty much the one thing that we talked about for the nuggets, but Alex, I'll let you, uh, talk about this first. Yeah, you know, when I look at this Nuggets team, you know, when healthy, the starting five is actually a pretty solid starting five. But when not healthy, their real biggest concern is they actually have no depth at guard. They need to build a better guard depth. When you look at this roster and you look at the depth chart, you have not only as of right now, you know, Jamal Murray and Will Barton at the one, two. Granted, I will say, I don't know if you guys really watch Will Barton this year, but I feel he's a better six-man caliber player than he is as a starter, especially at the two. And I feel like 
that would be huge to have him come off the bench next year and be a six man. That's how I look at him. But, you know, other than that, you have, when you look at the, at the one and two, you got Monty Morris, Bones Highland, Ryan Forbes, Austin Rivers, Campanzo. Like it, it, this is not the ideal depth that you want at guard. You want like Austin Rivers. Sure. I actually like that option. Like to him be maybe a third guy at the two, but you know, point guard wise you have no real depth after jamal murray gets out and he honestly especially considering if you do decide to move on without him for this coming year you really need to rebuild that depth because you have no one to fill his spot especially and granted you had no one this year to fill his spot either you know so that's where the problem is they need to not only maybe rebuild around Jokic and like bring in younger guys as well but they really need to, like we, like I just said with the Nets, with how they are with the three and four, the Nuggets have to do the same thing at the one and two because, unfortunately, they don't have those spot-up three-point shooters that you need, especially in today's era, to compete against other benches in the league and especially against, like, bringing the bench to compete against starters, too, at some point. So I think that's where their biggest concerns are for what they need to do to actually rebuild this team come summertime. Connor, your thoughts on the Nuggets, what they need to do. I mean, what we all have written down is pretty similar, but I want to hear what your take is. No, I, I totally agree. You got to you gotta build the guards, uh, you know, especially if Jamal Murray, you move on from him. But, mm-hmm. like, even so, like, your point guards that you did draft or, you know, that you have on the roster, such as Bones Highland, and you got Brian Forbes, they just didn't step up. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't know that they could be that guy to fill that role. And in the draft where there's a lot of talented players, uh, you know, and there's a lot of depth, you know, even though it's more of a heavy, big draft, especially up top, there's some decent uh, point guards, you know, Ty Ty Washington. Uh, there's a couple other ones that are up in my head right now. But, you know, it's, it's a definitely good point guard draft. And you could at least potentially find a guy that could fill that role better than, you know, Bones Highland or Forbes. Uh, so I think that's a big thing. And also, too, they got to do some reevaluating. Do you want Michael Porter Jr., who's been struggling, or he, he struggled even before, uh, you know, at the beginning of the season when he was healthy, he was shooting at, like, what was it, 36%, something like that? <laughs> something like that. And, yeah, like, and that's a huge drop. So you can't even blame that on injuries because he was healthy during that time. But, you know, he, he's got to be more consistent. And same with Jamal Murray. you, you got to figure out, are these the guys you want to build off of? you still got that Aaron Gordon deal. Jokic is going to be getting a max soon as well. You're going to be spending a lot of money, and you won't have any space to sign any new guys eventually. So you got to realize, hey, is this the team that we want to have for the next three four years they got to make that decision this year and we'll have to see what they do yeah uh i think for the nuggets like i i don't want to say they're like too far off but like they need to make decisions this offseason with murray and porter porter jr like if if you don't think they're going to be the fit for the future you need to move them this offseason and there are going to be the draft is not very guard heavy like it's more big heavy than guard heavy 
So it might be worth for the Nuggets to trade their first round pick, maybe go after a more veteran guard point guard. Like we don't know what's going on with guys like with like Damian Lillard. Like, could you imagine if the Nuggets decided to be like, you know what, we're just going to go for it and go get a guy like Damian Lillard and bring him on to the Nuggets. Then the Nuggets all of a sudden turn into this team that's a six seed into like a top three seed into the following season because like Lillard, Jokic and Gordon would at least be a start and then you can add more pieces into the guard position but the thing is like despite Murray and Porter Jr. being hurt they will still fetch you something if you trade them away and you can't have these guys sitting on the roster anymore because they're just clearly not contributing and I feel like Jokic is going to be really tired of just playing for a six seed and struggling. Like this is an MVP. You got to build around the MVP at this point. And, you know, unfortunately for Murray and, you know, Porter Jr., if they're on the chopping block, you got to chop them. But I, I feel like the Nuggets can really hit a good expectation if they make the right moves this offseason. So pretty much the general summary is that they need more depth at the guard and they need to bring in different players. But we are out of time for this segment. We're going to toss it to break. When we come back, we got your round two outlook. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back. All right, guys, it's time for round two of the NBA playoffs. Uh, round two actually begins today when we're recording this. This is May 1st when we're recording this. We're getting closer to the conference finals and even more closer to the, well, closer to the finals, even closer to the conference finals. The matchups we got, Suns versus Mavericks, Heat versus 76ers, Grizzlies versus Warriors, and Celtics versus Bucks. So really quickly, like after round one, is there any chance of anyone getting 4-0 swept or is each series going to go for at least five games? no there's no way it's going to be a four so after what we saw from this last round there like with the exception of the celtics in that series everything whether they the team had a 3-0 lead 3-1 lead they they really the losing teams kept making them competitive no matter what and we were able to steal games this is the second round i don't see anyone getting swept in the second round uh Celtics even can't I don't think they're going to sweep the Bucks. Bucks are a much better team than the Nets and actually are a true competitor than what we saw from the Nets. So that's not going to be a sweep either. So I think we're going to get one of the most exciting this could be one of the most exciting playoff rounds that we have seen in recent memory too. I totally agree with Alex here. Like I I think maybe the only series which would still come as a shock to me that could be that potential sweep is Suns versus Mavericks, mm-hmm. just because I feel like maybe that's the slightly widest gap of talent. But I think all of the teams are really close in talent. And I, I think even last round, the teams between one to eight or two to seven, they were just so close in talent. That's why we didn't see that. We only saw that one sweep. So, yeah, I think we're only going to get one sweep this whole series. Unless another big injury happens. I mean, as we're recording this, uh, Marcus Smart had an injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks like he's going to be coming back uh, in the second half. So that's a good thing. But yeah, I think uh, the Suns and Mavericks are probably going to be the most likely out of the four if it were the case to yeah, be this week. 
I, I don't see any teams getting Foro swept unless, like you guys said, there's a big injury that happens. Like, I'm not going to throw out any names because I don't want to jinx anybody. But I, I just feel like, especially how good the first round was, I very much doubt we get any 4-0 series, 4-0 sweeps. I would almost say we are more likely to get like a seven game series out of this round than a 4-0 sweep. So, so this should be a really good, exciting round. All these teams have a lot of great talent. Like we said, there's only one like series where like there's definitely a noticeable gap, but that doesn't mean a certain player can't step up, have a really great game and close the gap. But so let's talk about some of these series. Which series is going to be the most exciting? It may not have the biggest impact on the rest of the NBA playoffs. This one is just going to be fun to watch no matter what. Uh, Alex, I'll let you have this one. Sure. I mean, no matter what, I think we're going to have a exciting series with the exception of maybe Suns Mavs. I think we're all in agreement on that one. But I really do think after what we kind of saw last round with the Celtics and how dominant the Bucks still are as the defending champs, I think this is going to be the most exciting series personally. Uh, you know, when I look at you're going to you have Giannis against Jason Tatum. This to me is just an incredible round for them because this is about two things. This is about Giannis and the Bucks still showing why we're the defending champs. And any 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 series with the defending champs is always going to be exciting. But when I look at the Celtics and what they overcame this year and how this is a huge, huge legacy builder for Jason Tatum out there because he just beat KD and Kyrie. Now he gets to face a two-time MVP and, the, and Giannis and the defending NBA champs. So this is huge. And this is a series that I think the Celtics will show, hey, we have what it takes to possibly not only win this series and go to the conference finals, but go to the NBA finals and win the whole damn thing. That's how I really look at this, especially for the Celtics. And when I look at this Celtics team, they are the definition of what it takes to play team ball. That's what I love when I see them every single night on every single game on that on that court. They just no matter what, they have played the best team ball out of anyone in these playoffs. And when I look at the Bucks, Bucks are also a strong, strong defensive team. You know, holiday onto the Kumbo. We have seen it. And they know what it takes also to dominate down low in the paint. And I would love to see that battle right there. So I really think this is going to be the most exciting, but I'm curious to hear what your guys' picks are. Yeah, um, Connor, you go ahead with yours because uh, cool. I'm excited about this one too. Uh, so last, uh, you know, first round, I picked the most exciting series, and I was correct about it with Memphis <laughs> versus Minnesota. I think Memphis gives us the another exciting series, and I think it will come here in the second round. I think Memphis versus the Warriors is going to be the best series, just because it's two teams. That have been battling for that, you know, two, three, uh, uh, Western Conference standings ranking for so long this season, and I think they're two very competitive teams, and that have a lot of great talent. Uh, with Memphis, this is the thing. I, now that I've been looking at it a little bit more, I really don't know who's going to win this series. ESPN mm -hmm. experts. Out of the ESPN experts that were interviewed, guess how many of them picked the Grizzlies or the Warriors? Like, how many of you think picked the Warriors to beat the Grizzlies Ooh, in this series? I feel like I, I, I feel like it's hard because there's one team, Gian and upcoming, 
The other team is the Golden State Warriors, and ESPN rode the Golden State Warriors as long as they could, and I feel like they're going back to it. I'm going to say slim majority Warriors. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I gotta agree with Zach on that one. I like that's the best way to kind of look at it. The way they have the ESPN has been with the Warriors this year. Well, what if I told you that all twenty of the experts picked the Warriors to beat the Grizzlies? This uh, just oh shows my you. god. This just shows you how underestimated this team is, and it almost makes me want to switch my pick for the conference finals, just because I feel like this team's been riding and having counted a out and been counted out. That I think this series is going to seven. Uh, I still think the Warriors get it, and I feel rough saying that because everybody's been picking the Warriors. Like I said, all twenty experts say that, but I think we're going to get a great series. And I, I won't be surprised if this is the best series of the whole playoffs. I really don't. I think it's two teams that have a lot of guard power that uh, I, I can't wait to see Ja versus Steph Curry. Uh, and then, you know, I think this team is, or these two teams are awesome to watch. So I'm excited to see it. Yeah, like this is going to be a really good series no matter what, but it's going to be a lot of fun because like, you guys remember last season, the Grizzlies knocked the Warriors out of the play-in tournament and out of the playoffs altogether. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a little bit of a chip on the shoulder for the Warriors where they're like, hey, remember us from last year? Well, we're back and we're 100% now because it was just Steph Curry trying his best out there and it wasn't enough. But now it's like Steph, Clay, and Draymond, you know, they're all bad. The, that big three is back for the Warriors. So I think like you're going to have a little bit of nostalgia going on there, but you're also got this young up and rising team with the Memphis Grizzlies. So I think it's the old versus the new. So I'm really excited for that. But for my, wait, before I keep going, sorry. Uh, When I also met the ESPN, uh, ESPN experts, they also picked the heat and the Suns. All of them picked the heat and Suns to win their series (laughs) as well, which is just crazy to me. Okay. Keep going. So for my series, I do have the Heat versus the 76ers as the most exciting. All these are really exciting. Uh, Maybe not Suns Mavericks. It's not the sexiest matchup we have in this playoff round, but Heat and 76ers. There's just something about Jimmy Butler going against uh, his former team, the the 76ers. But also to like when Embiid gets back, because I feel like he will be back for games three and four. When he gets back, this is going to be. It's going to be a full out dog fight. That's how I feel like it's going to be. It's going to be a dog fight, you know, you know, between the Heat and 76ers. And this one will probably go to seven. I feel like this is the most likely to go to seven. So that's why I'm really excited about it. We see the Heat. They've been kind of disrespected, but they still have the one seed for a reason. The 76ers, they vanquished their demons with the Raptors, but now they got another one to take care of. So I I'm just really excited about the series, if you couldn't tell. But I'm excited about all these series like these were all great choices. But let's flip this question a little bit. Which series could impact the rest of the NBA playoffs? So I feel like we kind of switched our answers around here a little bit. So, uh, so Connor, I'll let you go first this time. Okay, so the series that I think could impact the rest of the playoffs are arguably, in my opinion, the two hottest teams in the league. You got the Bucks, who are the reigning champions, and you got the Celtics, who have been dominating for months now and have been on such a hot streak. It feels like they've only lost like two games, like this whole like the last couple months. Honestly, they don't lose; they really don't. 
so I think this is going to be the game or the series that impacts the playoffs the most because I think that especially with us not knowing how far the 76ers can go without Embiid, I think both of these teams could beat the Heat, and I think they would beat the Heat. So I, I really think nobody wants to play these two teams, and they're lucky that they're playing each other right now because then maybe that could slow down their momentum going forward. So I'm excited for this series as well. I, I think this could be our future champion could come out of this uh, matchup here. That's a really good point because like the Celtics are hot. They got doubted too, but the Bucks have been disrespected as NBA champions. So I feel like the winner of this series has maybe has the highest probability of winning the NBA finals. But we're going to have to wait and see on that. Alex, what's your pick for the for the series that can have the biggest impact on the NBA playoffs? Well, no one wants to go with Suns Mavs. <laughs> Just, uh, well, now that yeah. you mention it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the I think except for that series, every series is going to be impactful. But I really do think as much as I think in my opinion, Bucks Celtics will be the most exciting. I do think that one series that really could be impactful is Heat 76ers, just because now with Embiid being out and the Heat do have an advantage in this case, because if they can wrap up somehow and get those first two games and beat them and Embiid comes back, you pretty much probably can just, if you steal one of those next two games in Philly, then you're basically probably going to win the series easily. That's, that's where I look at, but I think it's impactful in the sense that if the 76ers pull off this tough fight against the Heat and win, especially with Embiid being out the first two games, and possibly, it's not even certain if he'll be back fully for Game 3, possibly coming back by Game 3, I think that the 76ers not only will have a lot of momentum in the conference finals, but it kind of sums up the way their season has been, and they don't make it easy for themselves. They're always fighting. But if the Heat somehow get an easy series here against 76ers because of this injury problem, or also if they just pull us out, I don't think they have what it takes to beat the Bucks or Celtics. I really do think that if 76ers win, they're going to be the ones to go to the NBA Finals and win their Conference Finals matchup. I think if the Heat are the ones to win, they're going to lose to the Bucks or Celtics no matter what. I think that's why this really matters because whoever, whatever happens in this series is easily going to decide who the Eastern Conference champions are going to be. It's either going to be in the other series or it's going to be 76ers. And that's a really good point, too, because like for for the 76ers, like, you know, this is a big series for them. Like they will have all the momentum going Mm -hmm. into the conference finals if they beat the Heat. But for the Heat, this could also do the same thing for them as well. If they beat the 76ers. They could be, and if they do it early enough, they could have an advantage of being able to rest before the Bucks and Celtics finish up. So that that's definitely a really good point. But this is like, we said last round was a prove it one. This one is like a, you have to win if you want to, you know, move on, obviously. But this feels like another, like, must do, like, to make a statement for the 76ers. Like, that that's, I'm just excited about that one, too. That, that one's going to be a big one. But let's get into my pick. I picked the Grizzlies versus the Warriors. This one could have the biggest, I feel like the biggest NBA uh, playoff implications. Because, like, if Memphis gets through, I feel like this series might go to seven. Like, besides 76ers heat, this one is like, this one could definitely go to seven. Or it could go to, like, five. 
And but the implications here is like the Warriors are one in three against the Grizzlies this season. And that's not the best record you want going in going into it. But the Warriors are at full strength and the Grizzlies have this momentum of coming in. It's like, oh, we came back from multiple double digit deficits to win games. This one is just going to be a big one, too. But then if the Suns have the play to Grizzlies, it's going to be tough. But if the Suns have to play the Warriors, you know, it might not be as tough for them. But this one could really affect it because it if the Grizzlies get to the NBA finals, we don't know what's going to happen. But if the Warriors get back, we definitely feel like that the Warriors would have, you know, they have that veteran experience and that would give them an advantage in an NBA finals uh, playoff situation. But that was my pick. Most impactful The kind of wrap up this episode. Uh, what teams do we see heading to the Eastern and Western Conference Finals? But we all wrote the same thing. <laughs> Somehow we all wrote the same thing, unless someone wants to change it right now. Like I, the, we have an opportunity uh, no, no. to change it. I, I I was thinking about maybe Memphis, but I, I just got to rock with the choice just because I think the Warriors are the more complete team. Yeah, so we all wrote Celtics versus 76ers for the Eastern Conference, Suns versus Warriors for the Western Conference. I just feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, I just feel like the Warriors' playoff experience will come through for them in their series against the Grizzlies. Because despite the Grizzlies being a hot team, they are still, compared to the Warriors at least, still like under-experienced when it comes to playoff situations. Yeah, I mean, experience... Like we like we've said for the past week, experience really matters when it comes to playoff mm-hmm. time, especially. And Warriors you get a more experienced team than the Warriors, honestly, with Clay Thompson's Draymond Green and exactly. Steph Curry's experience. Yeah. Exactly. I I really think the impact that Steph has in this series is what's gonna take them over the over Memphis and propel them to the conference finals. Yeah, and like I out of all the teams that we have left in the uh NBA playoffs, the Warriors have the most playoff experience between all their players on the rosters and stuff. And I feel like for the Western Conference final, like it feels like it's hard to gauge like what team clearly has an advantage or what team is like the clear favorite. Because it feels like everybody's just saying everybody could go in at this point. So it makes it hard, but I think at least for the Western Conference Finals, you know, Suns versus Warriors, that would be a great series to watch. We just know that playoff experience pays off. We see that with Chris Paul on the Suns. We see that with James Harden, 76ers, Joe Embiid, 76ers. We saw that with Jason Tatum, too. So, But for the Eastern Conference, Celtics versus 76ers as an Eastern Conference final, I don't think I'd be able to pick a team at that point if that was the conference finals for them. Because like both of those teams are really good, and it's just hard to go against one. They're really good, and they both have they've had a similar similar season with setbacks, especially early on first half of the year. So they both have dealt with adversity, and they both are just two dominant teams when they have to if they have to face each other. So that one's going to be a tough one if it happens. I also think it's interesting, though. Maybe it's because we weren't really aware of the Embiid injury of how long it would be, but I'm still shocked that I mean. Uh, Three of the four series, people all picked the same answers from ESPN, and one of them was the Heat over the 76ers. And I think maybe that's just because of the Embiid injury, but like, I, it still shocks me that nobody else picked the 76ers while us three all picked the 76ers. But maybe it's just because now we know that it's most likely going to be only two games. 
Yeah, like before it was indefinitely and it's like, you know, like I don't like when they say indefinitely, especially because it's like, oh, well, that could mean anything. And I don't like uh, that. I always, I always look up the definition of indefinitely. I'm like, wait a second. That just doesn't sound right. Like, because I'm just always say like, there's no timetable at the moment. Like, why are you saying definitely? Like, is he never yeah, coming back? Like, when I hear indefinitely. That means like, oh, yeah, he's he's out. out. Like, that's what I always think. Yeah. When I hear. You know, I, I, I just I just want to say, though, what happens if we're all wrong about this and Mavericks will go to the conference? Oh, line? yeah, I mean, we're going to look like idiots. And then I we'll just, just want to say, like, what are we going to see a Dirk Nowitzki run that we saw 11 years ago here then? We might. It's the first time they won a series since that run. So maybe they got all that momentum and we just don't know what I to mean, do. This, this would be like a great year for Luca to heighten his. Uh, you know, legacy, you know, people mm-hmm. have counted out this team and have said, oh, wh- why create a uh, trade uh, Christoph's Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie? But honestly, it's worked out decent enough uh, for them right now. And if they can upset the Suns here, I think that's a good good season for them. I don't think they have to go farther than that to really say, oh, it was a successful season. But hey, if they can get a championship this year, that would really cement Luca's legacy. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I feel like this whole NBA playoff series is going to depend on who has the best momentum swing going into the conference finals. That's what I feel like, because all these teams are really good. Even the Mavericks. I know we're kind of crapping on the Mavericks a little bit, but they are dangerous. Like Luca's dangerous in the playoffs. We know that. Like, it's just all these teams can make it to the finals easily. It's just hard picking like the two teams that are going to get there. But any final thoughts on round two before we wrap up this episode? Uh, I this is probably going to be the most exciting round that we have seen in the last two years. So I really can't wait for it. I totally agree. Who do you guys think is going to be the MVP of the second round? Ooh, that's a good question. That's a a good one. Honestly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Harden. I really am. Okay. I think that he's gonna prove his worth, and I think after what we're, I think we're gonna see something special these first two games with him, and then he's not gonna slow down, and he's gonna be unstoppable. Games three, four, and if it goes further, obviously, then that games five, six, or seven. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going Steph Curry because I think if the Warriors want to win here, I mean Jordan Poole was playing phenomenal, but if Steph Curry can, you know, play you know, have a great uh, a couple offensive games as well as play good defense against John Morant. Uh, this could be really – that's the defining matchup of that series. Who's going to yeah. get more points? Who's going to dominate more? Because uh, mm-hmm. you know you can quote-unquote stop job, but there's no way to stop that man. He, he's phenomenal. You could slow him down. You just can't stop him yeah. completely. He's going to posterize you no matter what. I yeah. feel like I feel like for me the MVP of this round should be Jason Tatum. Like this is another prove it round for Jason Tatum. Like he Definitely. he took advantage of chaos in Brooklyn and you know they got the sweep. But now you're going against the reigning champions and you know that's a hard battle to fight because the Bucks are no you know like don't underestimate the Bucks because they will come back and they will beat you so I think Jason Tatum has to be an MVP of this round if they want to move on to the conference finals and maybe eventually the NBA finals but that was a really good 
last minute question. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was a great episode to talk about. Again, follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So that way you know when these mini episodes are coming out and you can get more of those stats and storylines from each of the series more individually on a more, I guess you could say, microscope, if you will. But that's all the time we got for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next time. sound right boy